Toya Wolf writes in her last summer on State Street, if you drove up the 9094 highway built to separate blacks and whites without Jim Crow language, the Robert Taylor homes loomed off to the side of your car. The building stared you down, their windows like eyes watching. She also writes, the memories won't go away. They're proof that once upon a time I lived in a brick skyscraper on State Street. In a place where stairwells filled with echoes and stampeding gym shoes and harmonizing winos. Toya Wolf, this is a fantastic, fabulous book where you have taken your memories uh, and used them to not fantasize a world, but to create a world that... I don't know this world. I didn't grow, you know. I didn't grow up in the Robert Taylor house, but I know a little about this world. Yeah, uh, you've got to be very proud of this book. I am. Uh, you can say you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm proud of. Uh, I got it done. Yeah. <laughs> well, it must have been. It must have been for you a long time in coming because one of the things for me about memory is you have to at most points you, you have to really trust your memory don't you well i'm also a fiction writer rick so i can I make things up but well, i know but the, <laughs> that's the weird balancing act i yeah. think that goes on especially in a book like this sure because i think there are people who read the book and go oh my god how was your brother he went to jail right exactly well, he didn't really go to jail but so much that's what's so great about fiction um i had an opportunity to play around with history and like lay down some history but also really dream up these characters and be creative with them when you say dream up uh dream up based on memory of characters no really no in fact oh, um the characters are all fictional but the the places are very real they're places where i lived um even like the neighborhood in roseland so the places are very real ripped right out of my life but the characters and the plot of the story they are actually fictional well the summer the summer <laughs> that you write about in here is the summer of 1999 when when as many of you who drive 9094 may remember, uh, the, the, the buildings were being chewed apart by those huge, monstrous things that chew them apart. Yeah. Were you there then? I was not. I was. Um. I was in college uh, in 1999. I would have been. I would have been starting the second semester of my um, freshman year in college. Yeah. My mother and sister still <laughs> lived in the buildings um, because they would tear them down in sort of random spaces and shift people and around. People around. Yeah. But I uh, things were pretty fresh. Like the process of of this move, and I was working at a community center across the street from the building. So um, kids who were pretty young. I think my mind was still sort of fresh on what it would be like to be 12 and have to change schools in your neighborhood and leave your friends tell me what it was like a decade before when you were 12 and you were going to school there and you were living there yeah talk to me about the, the robert taylor homes that you evoke in sure. this book is a is to my mind a a pretty terrifying and dangerous place yes um there's got to be a but there yes and 
and people were also raising families there. Yes, indeed. So indeed. definitely the environment where like you could hear gunshots at any moment, the environment where hordes of police officers cannot can sweep through the buildings banging on doors. Like those things are very, very real. Um, but also like these kids get to go down to the Buckingham Fountain for the fireworks on July third. You know, they this here. is there's so much Chicago history. In my brain, I like have the old school Chicago calendar, like that starts at St. Patrick's Day. And sure. so there's so much of this so much Chicago Chicago in this book. And so, yes, that was a neighborhood no one would have chosen to raise a family in, but people really did um, raise their families and have joy alongside of the pain. I have always felt that places I'm not a fan, never have been a fan of public housing. I grew up relatively close to Cabrini Green when when that went up, that I always felt that these were places where dreams were pretty hard to come by. Was that was that for you? As a youth there, or 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 was it easy to dream? Um, I really think it depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. But you have to remember, too, in the 80s and 90s, right alongside like the crack epidemic, where yeah. a lot of social programs, after school programs, community centers, like I was coming up in a time when every summer there were the summer jobs programs. So it was kind of like a heyday of Chicago, like social programs. And I think I always had mentors. I always had like places to go. And I didn't I personally didn't have a hard time dreaming. I'm just yeah. that kid. But I think um, there there was a season where you had a lot of people, a lot of sort of mentor types who were trying to teach kids how to look beyond our buildings. Did you dream of being a writer as a child? I actually wanted to be an attorney as a child. Wow. wow. <laughs> but it's because... Well, that's a job where you can make, make a decent living as opposed I know, but to being a novelist. In school, we had this um, play called The Trial of the Students, and yeah. I was an attorney in the play, and I thought and I would love to do this for you. a living. But well, I'm glad, I'm glad, Toya Wolf, you did not do that. <laughs> you have written a debut novel the last summer on... State Street, uh, which is it's it's a coming of age story in a fashion. Uh, It's a coming of urban age. We will dip into this book for the next hour and then we're going to talk about a prize that this book is getting next Saturday. I'll be there, too. Wonderful. (laughs) Uh, ToyaWolf.com is the website. T-O-Y-A-W-O-L-F-E.com. And we'll be back in a couple minutes. You cannot, when reading uh, Toya Wolf's Last Summer on State Street, say, Hey, Toya, you must have been that girl and you must have been this girl and that must have been your mom. But I do have to ask, how good a jump roper were you? Because jump roping is yeah. is it's a light motif of the book. Because you <laughs> write here, jumping rope and playing these hand games were our only real distraction from the ongoing demolition of the neighborhood. And as much as we could bury our heads in this joy, we did. Yeah. That's a really interesting, to my mind, observation about childhood games. Sure. I jumped rope every day I, of my childhood like that that's something i definitely um took from my life and it's because like when i was a kid boys played basketball girls jumped double dutch it's just what you did but double dutch is advanced jump rope so not everyone actually has the skill to like turn two ropes sure, and not sure. be double handed um, so yeah it's it's sort of a varsity sport <laughs> let me ask you i don't want to get too deep in the weeds of of the creative genius that i think you are oh, stop i'm not kidding uh <laughs> but uh, how did the, what was the seed of this book i mean what you know you, you went to columbia you took yeah. some courses at columbia you went to columbia again and mm-hmm. took further courses 
When did you decide, I think I want, first of all, when did you gave up the dreams of being an attorney? Thank, oh, that ended at 17. Thank God. Good. We're done. <laughs> good. Yeah, this seems boring to me. Uh, when did you when did you make the choice or make the decision that you wanted to write? Um, so I've been writing since I was 10. I used to write really bad poetry. I won. What, inspi- what inspired that? Was it school or, or? It was school. Um, I won an essay competition when I was 10 years old and had to read it in front of the entire school. Wow. And you could not even hear a pen drop. Even was the, this Farron school? This was Farron. Yeah. Farron Elementary. Um, and even the boys who were like, you know, always pulling our hair and being jerks, they, they were quiet and still. And I just think you're in fifth grade and something you wrote like silenced an entire school i think it just sort of did something to me and i just i continued to write and but this book actually came together um from a writing exercise at columbia it was a parody of melville's bartleby the scrivener um and you had a you had someone who was in charge she had two sort of quote-unquote employees who were um not productive and brought in sort of a new person to help the situation and my for the exercise i decided to use a group of girls and just think i'm a kid who had girl friends who were girls my entire you know childhood and so the dynamics of girl friendships it's just very interesting and i wanted to play around with like having a kid who was kind of the boss and then these two friends who were very different from her but you need to have a certain amount of people to jump double dutch so they're unlikely pairing and then they bring in this fourth girl who sort of everything just sort of falls apart after that this person who was supposed to be the solution sort of ruins everything um so that was the seed and that short story Story was called Tanya from the Ten, and um, the Union League Club chose it as their second place prize way back in the day. And I just sort of continued to write about these girls and build out the story, and it became a novel. But it really was just a writing exercise at Columbia a long time ago. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand that that, that, that <laughs> Wolf has just made it seem pretty easy to write a novel, <laughs> and that is not not the case. It is a lot of work uh, to write a novel, but I see the seeds of this. I see yeah. because the characters in this book are so vivid to me. Thank you. Uh, the kids themselves, and uh, even though they're girls, most many of the boys in the uh, piece, even even the main protagonist's brother, mm-hmm. uh, are do not have large parts in the book. Sure. I don't think because the boys are. And that was intentional. Yeah. I think you can read about boyhood. You can see it on TV. But I think girlhood is not captured in a nuanced way very often. And I wanted to do that for us. So, not all these. Not all the girls are nice in her. I mean, oh no, because not all girls are nice. Let's yeah. let's just go ahead and state that. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's no news to me, dear. That's no news to yeah, me. Yeah, all the sugar and spice <laughs> and everything nice. Girls aren't always made of that. <laughs> was, was it was it hard? I have to believe that that some of uh, the qualities of some of the girls in this book are are maybe based on people you know you say and that's the joy of fiction is you can use your inventive mind to create these things but you do the sources of that creativity the seeds they were types of people like if you read earlier drafts of this Mm -hmm. um it was not ready for prime time but they started out as types like i asked questions like what's it like to be a kid who's who spends all week in church. What's it like to be a kid whose mom runs the neighborhood gang? You know, what's it like to be a kid whose mom is a drug addict and how, and so it kind of started out as these questions with these sort of archetypes. And then I had to kind of round them out and make them like take those questions and kind of, 
follow you know along what that would be talk to me for a bit about the buchanan family yeah uh, it is a fascinating it's a family made for cinema to my mind <laughs> because they look a certain way that you can and your protagonist in the book can tell who and many people can tell who a buchanan is sure. by, by their physical being uh, yeah. this this is a uh, not a good family <laughs> you know but like what was fun to write um there were a few families growing up who were, were like really big families and you you saw the resemblance and i wanted to play around with that what's it like to be part of a family and you guys all have the same kind of face mm-hmm. with some variations and originally um stacia did not have so many siblings but it was important for me to show how lonely she is and to really drive that home like i gave her a ton of siblings and none of them pay her any attention and that wow. was kind of like the the, the heart wrenching part of like what it's like to be in a home. There are eleven people in her apartment, and none of them really see her. No, when she first goes into that apartment, you start to describe the apartment. It sounds insane to me. <laughs> it does. It sounds insane to me. Did you know growing up, drug dealing families like and gang banging families like the Buchanan? Not intimately, but you but sort you, of know the people in your neighborhood and what kind of things they get into in a vague way. Yeah. So. It was also really fun just kind of playing around with imagination, but then doing a lot of research to make sure that I wasn't so far off that people who live this life would say, this woman knows nothing about what she's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, well, people you grew up with in in the Robert Taylor homes, they obviously have read this book. You've obviously stayed friendly with many of them. What if they? What did they think of this book? It's been- that must have been tough on some level to give an old friend the book and say hey i wrote i wrote about us growing up but mostly they are overjoyed that someone has sort of laid down their lives in this way Mm. um i had a classmate i had to find him on facebook and ask him a question there's a scene in the book where the kids are the girls are jumping rope the boys are running back and forth up and down the playground and she doesn't know what game they're playing and i i literally there's this game the boys used to play and they would run from one end of the playground to the next and i had no idea what the game was so i find this guy on facebook and i'm like what were you guys playing and he told me what it was i was like that's called tag we call that tag now (laughs) but but just you know i think to really talk about what our teachers were like what the neighborhood was like i think people are really proud to see themselves bound in a book that's in the library and at bookstores yeah because well this is one of those areas that you know the way nelson Aldman wrote about certain areas that were ignored and this is not an area from which tons of novels are no. coming. And it's an area now that has basically been erased. Yeah. Except for this book and other modest efforts. And uh, I feel so fortunate to uh, have written this down and people are actually connecting with it and like want to share it with people. Like that, that's the dream. Yeah. When in my short time at uh, hanging around. Uh, Robert Taylor Holmes, when Charles Osgood and I spent a, a month there writing a story and investigating a class, there was to me, and I'm sure there was to you even growing up. There's, it there, it sounded like you know, look twice before crossing the street. <laughs> it's the lessons of of urban childhood in a place like the Robert Taylor Holmes, and they're all through this book. Yeah, are are a little more uh, involved. Sure. 
Yeah, there are rules to this <laughs> for survival. Yeah. But I, I actually don't. I don't. I think there are several neighborhoods around the country, around the world, where there are rules that keep you alive. And yeah. this was just one of those neighborhoods. Yes, look both ways before you cross the street, and also listen. And also, if things look a little strange, go home because something's about to happen. Like you just, right. your spidey senses are just always on alert. Well, there, there is. Would you say that there is a sense of of sort of lingering potential danger when the sun starts to go down um even when the sun's up i just you you just you're constantly but i just think you still live your life you still play your games with your friends and you still go buy candy and snowballs but the minute something does not seem right you don't ignore it and i think that's what's different for these kids and what it's like to grow up in neighborhoods like this you must tell you wolf uh you must love these girls in the book. I do. All of them. I'm, I'm dead <laughs> serious about that. All Even of Stacia. Them. When people come for Stacia, I'm like, I want you to read the book again <laughs> because you missed some things. You write in here, too. You write, over the years, she'd watched cute kids. This is talking about uh, Mama Pearl. Uh, over the years, she'd watched cute kids grow up to become friends or drink themselves to death, dying in their 40s. For Mama Pearl, it wasn't just the demolition of iron gates and bricks. What had already broken her heart was the destruction of so many lives over the years. Yeah. That, that is a major theme of this book because there are lives, if not totally. There's one life that's totally destroyed. There's another one that is a, a burden beyond sure. words. Uh and characters like Mama Pearl are important because oh. they are the sort of storytelling gatekeepers. Exactly. They're the beginning and the end, sort of. Yeah. And I think um, we are not, like, sometimes we ignore our elders. They are holding our stories, you know? And we don't talk to them. Um I, I attend a church that has so many different sort of age groups, and it's those senior citizens you need to sit across from and ask the questions. I know so much about Chicago history because my grandmother passed away in 2021, and my entire life she'd been telling me stories and telling me history. I didn't have to research well, history do for this book. You do a wonder, Toya does a wonderful job of, of uh, giving the history of Bronzeville uh, in here, not in any kind of... Uh, you know, dry academic way, but in a in a way that makes it really kind of come alive. Uh, you also write in here, and sorry for reading so many different things. All right. <laughs> Our elementary school was not only a refuge in a season of life when we needed to take cover, but it also gave us an example early in life how influential an educator could be. She's talking about a woman named Ms. Pierce. Yeah. I want to talk about after the news uh, some of the people who really influenced you at, at Columbia because I know that was a, a an essential, essential part of your becoming a novelist yeah. instead of a goofy lawyer. <laughs> Boy. Uh, you made the right choice. I know there's, well, now I'm saying there's no money, there's no money in being a novelist, but there is money in being a novelist, and we'll get to that later uh, in the show. So stay tuned, please. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, we're talking to uh, Toya Wolf, and we continue talking to her. Off air, she was telling me that uh, we were talking about, God, thank God you gave up law to become a novelist. <laughs> but she also told me we were talking about religion and church, and uh, she writes in the book, uh, there was nowhere in my life, and this is not her life story, this is a novel, ladies and gentlemen, but there was nowhere in my life where I could just be quiet except in church. It didn't take but a minute before I was hooked. Eventually, I learned that you could find quiet everywhere. 
She also goes on to say, every time I went to church, it was like I paused what was going wrong in my life. You were a pastor for a while, you yes. told me. That's a remarkable law to pastor, to novelist. <laughs> That's fascinating. But you came back here. You were a pastor in Southern California. You came back here to care for your mom. And that's when the whole, uh, I want to be a writer uh, well, I had a manuscript. It was just collecting dust in a drawer. Like yeah. I, I'd actually started it in undergrad, and then um, I've worked for a lot of youth programs in in Chicago, like mm-hmm. running after school programs, working at a mentoring um, after school program across yeah. the street from the Robert Taylor Home. So I had this history of working with young people, but um, something was happening with me spiritually, and I was thinking, you know what? If you went to seminary, you could actually work with young people, and you know, we could also sort of work on their spirit development sure and i thought i would be like a school counselor at a christian school or something but then when i got there i realized i was being called to be an actual pastor which wasn't a fun no. realization <laughs> no i don't want to do that i don't want to do that i don't want to do that but the book I, the manuscript sort of it sort of sat in a drawer for like six years and mm. then my mom's siblings were getting sick and passing away and so i realized i need to come home to chicago because we were a family in mourning and in crisis and um, I knew that Columbia had a great MFA, and I thought, you know what, if I go back home, I'm going to do that master's program and really take these pages out and work on them. There's some great teachers there, many of whom yeah. I know and admire. Uh, who really influenced your work? I know I don't want you to ignore, <laughs> I don't want you to ignore anybody. Yeah, I know. I, but, well, but. I definitely worked on, my thesis advisor was Don DeGrazia. He's a great novelist um, and a great guy. Really great teacher, great mentor. Um, worked with Randy Albers, who mm-hmm. actually used to chair the program. Um, worked closely with Joe Mino uh, and Hemingway. Like, just, there was like, and a lot of them, those teachers, I knew them in undergrad, but we were really getting into the nitty gritty of these pages did once they take, I got they, to. Did, did you present your manuscript to them and said, look, I've written this help me out to don yeah because uh, i was there doing the graduate program and eventually you're supposed to keep your eyes open for someone you would want to work with Mm. eventually but at the end of my first semester i was like it's this guy right here like he is going to be perfect for this material and um and i just asked him if he would be my advisor and there are protocols and stuff but i was ready to go How many rewrites did it take, and how long did it take? I know it's a a sore subject, I suppose. It's not a sore subject. I actually love love talking about this. I revised this book for 13 years. I lived my life, and I I teach at an MFA program in Vermont, and I tell students, your writing cannot be your whole life, because when things are taking forever, you're going to feel like a failure. You're going to feel like your life is a failure. But I polished this manuscript while I traveled and went to school and dated and just like lived my life like running parallel and um 13 years in i got a really great agent and then she had me revise it for two more years and so when when it actually went out when they were shopping around new york it was very polished because we sort of grew up were you together confident were you confident when you let it go yeah, i was because i was sick of it at that time <laughs> you know something's ready to go when the thought of reading it makes you nauseous yeah, yeah then you've yeah, done yeah, your due yeah, diligence yeah. <laughs> what was it what was it like when your agent called and said i have an offer Oh man, I I felt sick. Like because apparently that happens too when you get really excited, you get really nauseous and just. But I I was definitely very happy, um, and it just meant like wow, you're you're going to be a novelist. Like this is this is really happening. 
but it also there's a there's a certain kind of pressure involved in that too the pressure of expectations the pressure of oh my god it's really i can't rewrite this anymore <laughs> but i'm I, not someone who won't let things go yeah. i think over good for those, you good for over you the, all the time i've been writing like i had a um things published in the chicago reader over the years and mm-hmm. i've had things rejected from places and so i've just sort of been like in the writing game for decades yeah and I know when something is ready to leave your desk. Like I revise just vigorously, and when when it's ready, I let it go because there are other things that I want to write. Mm. So, when you got it in your hands mm-hmm. for the first time, and it's a handsome little book, it's not, <laughs> it's not a long novel; it's two hundred some pages. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel? if i have words like you get this box the box is not very sexy it's just a box and you open it up and then it's just like the cover and you you get to touch it this is like a first edition so you got to collaborate at all on the cover i did i did it was like a magical conversation because writers don't oftentimes have any input yeah but they asked me and my agent she's so smart uh shout out to meredith fellow simonoff she's she was like put a pinterest board together with other covers that you love and colors that you like and and like send that to your editor and she's like they may not listen at all but just go ahead and just do that and i pulled a lot of themes from the book um the theme of sunsetting like a neighborhood that's being sunset or um the main character looks at the sunset and sort of there's just a lot of that theme in there and i thought the cover should look like it's a a blaze it should just be hot you know and we talked about the originally there were trees on the original design i asked them to take those trees off because that's part of the tragedy of growing up no trees in your neighborhood but you got you got some wonderful 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 writers uh saying wonderful wonderful things about it i mean all of whom all of whom I know, Don, <laughs> Don Turner, who used to be Don Turner Trice, yeah. author of Three Girls from Brownsville, which is a lovely, lovely book from last year. Absolutely. She writes of this book that it is a triumph, a beautiful ode to the humanity, complexity, and compassion of people in a community too often defined by pathologies. You will mm. root for the brave and sure-footed Felicia, Precious, Stacia, and Tanya, as well as their families, all striving amid the rubble. What a lovely debut told with warmth, grace, and a piercing affection. When you get, when you read something like that about your work, uh, that must knock you out. These blurbs, these blurbs are incredible. I, there have been, I've been in tears. Like this whole process has just been overwhelming. The New York Times called it a remarkable achievement. It's like, what? How yeah. do you even know I exist? Yeah. Yeah. But, but I just think also <laughs> when you're. When your colleagues, when other writers who've actually been in the game longer than you, when they actually say, like, you've written a Chicago classic, like, you've really put girlhood down here on display, like, I just think that that's everything. You go back to your desk and you write more things. <laughs> well, it's awesome because it is it, it, getting quotes like that. And uh, Alex Kotlowitz, who is yeah. yet, yet to write a novel, but who is a great nonfiction writer, yeah. wrote, filled with tenderness and tragedy, this moving tale of friendship and family pulls us into a corner of America too long neglected and scorned. Wolf writes with such grace and such restraint. I felt like I was sitting on the front porch listening to a story told by a friend. What a spectacular debut. 
Uh, also quotes from Natalie Morinoff, Audrey Neffenegger, uh, yeah. and uh, Rebecca Mackay. Good people. Uh, yeah, good <laughs> people. writers. Good, yeah, good people. Well, <laughs> getting that, it's got to be so empowering. I'm surprised you didn't just sit down and go, okay, I'm starting my next one right now, and I'm going to finish it in a week. Well, Rick, I have to talk to folks like you. I can't just sit still. <laughs> but how soon. Do make, how do you, uh, Toya, how do you make a living? I write things. Yeah. Well, I teach... Um, I definitely think I've been fortunate enough to be able to like just write like mm-hmm. from this this novel, and then um, I also teach in an MFA program, uh, the Bennington Writing Seminars, which uh, incredible program. But yeah, I just this is a season where I'm really trying to focus on writing, and then um, I recently received a very wonderful award that will sort of help me breathe a little easier and not yes, just eat did. ramen. Yes. Uh, <laughs> We're going to tease this award. There was a there's a brand new award. The winner of it last year, one of the winners of it last year, was uh, the aforementioned Don Turner Trice. Uh, it's an astonishing award, and it's a great new award in the city of Chicago. Yeah. It is presented by the Newberry Library. It will be presented. I'm assuming you will get a check, unless you already got the check. <laughs> or I, what I think they should do, and I'll tell the guy from the Newberry Library who's coming on after this break, that they should just give it to you in cash. That's what I <laughs> in think. In a suitcase. <laughs> you will. Please stay tuned. Please, Yeah, please stay tuned, because we're going to tell you what that prize is. We're going to be joined by... Uh, by Vince Furpo, who's the Newberry's Vice President for Public Engagement, to talk about the Pattis Prize. So please stay tuned. Well, in typical Kogan fashion, I have lost the number for Vince Furpo, who is going to be calling. This might not, I think he was at home, maybe. Uh, Vince, if you're out there, my friend, would you please call 312-981-7200? There are two nice people ready to answer your phone call. Uh, we have a number here that I'll tell you off air, and we'll try to get Vince on, and we'll talk to him. And uh, he is going to tell us uh, when he calls in. Vince, your poor guy, is probably sitting waiting at home, <laughs> thinking, where is Rick, and why hasn't he called me yet, and what's the matter with him? <laughs> Jack's here. Toya has something like a number. We can try that number. Vince, if you're listening, please dial 312-981-7200. And we can talk about the prize, and we can talk about the new bird. It just, I didn't, like, miss, I miswrote it is what I did. It's, uh, so you got to be listening, or you got to be waiting to hear from us, because we want to talk about the incredible prize that toy is getting yeah i doubt if he's at the office that's the thing for me and he's probably saying well maybe he would email me and say uh rick where are you uh i have cheryl i have your numbers i have everybody's numbers uh toy you're getting a, a big award uh this saturday yes on saturday there is a big event at the Newberry Library. Uh, it's a it's a part of a huge Chicago storytelling and bug at Bug House Square. It's taken the place of what used to be the Bug House Square debates. Uh, I think I think we have him on the phone. We do. Woo-hoo. Yeah, <laughs> he'll be right on. Vince 
Okay, we we do have them, so now we can continue on and talk about this. Okay, Vince, my deep apologies for not being a very good typist and typing, <laughs> in, typing in the wrong number, but thank you for calling in and thanks for being here. It's a big deal on Saturday, isn't it, my friend? It is a huge deal. It um, is. We are presenting the Pattis Family Foundation Chicago is, um, Award to Toya. I, I, I'm still stunned. <laughs> She's still stunned. She's still stunned Actually, by that. Yeah. You know, this so, is, Vince, you've been at the Newberry for some time, and this award, which the awards were presented last year for the first time, this is right. an astonishing uh, literary, it's, it's a bigger prize than the Pulitzer. It's one of the yes. biggest literary prizes in the world. How did, and I know the Pattis family, some of the Pattis family, how did it all come to be? Did they just come to the Newberry and say, look, we, uh, we have uh, some extra money. We'd like to honor people. I mean, it couldn't be that simple, could it? Uh, it almost was that simple. Um, Lisa Pattis is a member of the board of the Newberry Library. Um, and when the Pattis Family Foundation was thinking of creating a book award, um, they came to the Newberry and asked us to submit a proposal. And we worked with them to sort of figure out what would this award be? Who would we celebrate? Um, and we settled on Chicago, um, Chicago history, Chicago stories really live within the walls of the Newberry. Our collection is vast and touches on a lot of Chicago topics. So we thought we really want to celebrate works that help people understand Chicago, understand our history, our people, our culture. Um, and we're really honored that the Pattis Family Foundation chose to to work with the Newberry. No kidding. I, and and uh, it, it is, to my mind, a really remarkable thing. And I'm glad we're giving it So I'm going to write about it later this week, too, that uh, who, so who are the selectors? Who are the people who sit in a room and you know i don't know if they have cocktails when they're deciding <laughs> but, but. i don't know if they have cocktails i wasn't invited uh, into the room um we do have so there is a jury this year there were a jury of five readers um and it's a mixture of newberry staff members but also external readers so we reach out into the community to find people who have knowledge of and interest in chicago um, and then we make them read a whole lot of books. Yeah, how many? <laughs> uh, and, and then they they determine a winner for us. Vince Furpo at the Newberry Library. Do you know offhand how many uh, submissions in just I won't ask every category, but just in the fiction category that the judges had to go through? I've got to think it's more than twenty. Um, so I know overall we had just about thirty submissions this this year wow. i don't know how it breaks down yeah. from fiction or non-fiction but the the award is open to you know fiction non-fiction graphic novels poetry um any book that touches on chicago uh is is eligible for the award so it's it's a it's a good array of works do the authors have to be have to have personal ties to chicago Absolutely not. We're wow. thrilled that Toya is a <laughs> yeah. Chicagoan, and this is her debut novel. We love that. Oh. Um, but really, the work has to reflect Chicago, but the the author does not necessarily have to be from here. Toya, how would you like to tell Vince Firpo how you feel oh. and how you felt <laughs> the moment? And who called you, anyway? Who called you? 
Listen, we are a tough crowd in Chicago. And so when people tell you, like, they think you wrote the best Chicago book this year. You say, year. who is this? <laughs> My friend from high school kidding me? Yeah, I know. I exactly. get it. Exactly. No, it is. Um, it's an incredible honor. Like, we have some incredible writers here in Chicago. And so to have to be chosen for this award your first book out the gate yeah it is so uh, affirming and i'm definitely going to go write more things <laughs> well it's empowering it's affirming it's yeah. empowering and it's a it's a nice bit of money to have in your bank account yeah. and same thing with dawn last year that was her this is that was her first book as yeah. well who was it who called did vince call you who called you who called me first there, this is like a storm now because there were emails uh-huh. um I feel like I talked to Gail, then I talked to Vince. Um, I don't know. It could have been Cheryl. Just a lot yeah, of. Yeah, <laughs> I know that. I know that Gail, our our interim president, and I hopped on a Zoom oh, with fun. Toya very quickly after it was announced. I'm not exactly sure. I think you may have gotten an email yeah. um, from Gail first, but. Being that was, on that Zoom was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I was did a she, mess. Did she scream? <laughs> All right, Vince, I want you to tell me, how was she a mess? Was she screaming, crying? I don't remember Don't tell him, Vince. Don't crying. tell him. I just remember joy. Yeah. Oh. She was just overjoyed and so grateful. Um, and, and to be on the Zoom and to pass on this information to someone who was just so... Just exuberant was, yeah. was yeah. a great feeling. Yeah. Now, this her presentation of this award comes uh, after a day of uh, storytelling in Bughouse Square, which is used to be, you've been around long enough to know, it used to be the Bughouse Square debates, but then COVID and all sorts of uh, other changes took place. And uh, the storytelling thing sounds fantastic. Yeah, so we're we're having an event outside of the Newberry next Saturday, July 15th, starting at 1. Um, and yeah, we have a number of people coming to tell stories about the work they're doing to make Chicago the great city that it is. Yeah. Um, and then it all culminates with us presenting the award to Toya and her getting to talk about her book. Who is she going to talk with? Who's going who's to interview her for this? Or just so she will uh, talk with Gail Kern Pastor, oh, who good. is our interim uh, president at the Newberry Library. That's great, and you will be there, of course. <laughs> I will be there, absolutely. As will you, because yes. you are I'm our the... trustworthy MC for <laughs> yes. many, many years. Yeah. Well, I used to, I did MC the debates, and the debates were were uh, always very lively. But I, I certainly do understand why. There's been this kind of not exactly a sea change, but a modest little change in the direction of the storytelling. Because some of the debates, as you know, Vince, you've been around long enough, were just, it had become kind of trivial, to my mind, they'd become trivial and idiotic. Like, you know, here's the debate between what color napkins should be served at dinner time, black or white. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what? This is not that important and doesn't mean much. Vince, if you could stay on the phone through the uh, news, and uh, now that we got you on the phone, I'm going to never let you go. And again, Sweet. my apologies, apologies for that uh i want to talk a little about and i want toya to be here too to talk a little about the the book sale which i think is just one of the most amazing newberry ongoing events uh in the world okay sounds good thanks thanks again for for calling in too uh we'll be back uh after the news
Oh, I have a whole minute to fill? This is really like my bet. I'm going to send this show to the uh, Radio Hall of Fame <laughs> and say, well, Rick, you have 12 numbers for this number for Vince, and, and you don't know what time it is, and you want to play some songs, and... Yeah, Vince, you might want to cancel me as the MC for the storytelling. No, no, thing. no. Nope. You know, it's funny. I was listening to the conversation you two were having, yeah. and I heard you say, "Okay, up next, we're going to talk." So I turned it off. Oh my! Because I didn't want to have that on in the background. <laughs> but I luckily got an email from our director of communication saying Rick Kogan needs you to call him at this number. Yeah, Rick so Kogan. Or no, I'm glad he was. Dear Vince, in. Rick Kogan's an idiot. <laughs> call him now, and we'll get this whole thing squared away. The word uh, now, yeah, stop it. Now we can go to news. We'll be back in a few minutes, Vince. Hang on, please don't hang up. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, on the phone, on the phone, on the phone is Vince Furpo. He's the Newberry Library's Vice President of Public Engagement. And sitting next to me is Toya Wolf, who will be presented on Saturday with the uh, Pattis Award uh, for Best Novel. It's a considerable amount of money. Vince, do you present it to her, and is it in cash? <laughs> Uh, it is not in cash. Thank you, Vince. Um, I, I thought that could be an interesting idea. I don't know if our security team uh, would agree, but um, but we will have a check ready for her. <laughs> and you'll be interviewed. Be interviewed with the inter, in, interim president of the uh, of the Newberry. This it is part of a a event, a storytelling event called Chicago Storytelling in Bughouse Square. Bughouse Square. If you don't know where the Newberry Library is, you have uh, misspent your time in Chicago. The Newberry. One of the things about it, Vince, and, and talk to this for a second, uh, the Newberry Library is one of those buildings that to some people can seem kind of intimidating. It can seem almost too important, like, oh my God, what goes on in there? It is actually one of the most welcoming institutions in the city of Chicago, isn't it? It absolutely is. Yeah. Um, but you're right. We have this big, formidable building. It's beautiful, but it's it's large mm. with lots of stairs. Um, but once <laughs> you're inside, you know, there's a lot to do. There are people there to greet you. We've got volunteers and librarians right on the first floor to kind of help acclimate you if you want to come in this week and see our pop-up books through the ages exhibition which ends on saturday um free and open to you you can use our reading rooms take classes attend free programs like the one happening on saturday there's a lot to do and and we really encourage people to come on in stop by say hello and figure it out you know what yeah. it is you'd like to do with the newberry well saturday would be a great uh, introduction to it but so would be the book fair that comes up on July 28th, 29th, and 30th. Toya has never been to the book fair, Vince oh. Purple. I want you to tell her why <laughs> she should go. I think it's one of the great events in, in, in anywhere in this planet. Well, I'm assuming, Toya, that you enjoy reading books. <laughs> Absolutely. Enjoy Good assumption. Books. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, the book fair, we put some hundred of thousands of books, um, used books on sale, very inexpensive. We're talking paperbacks for two or three dollars, hardbacks for four or five dollars. Nice. Um, and we literally fill 
the first floor of the Newberry with books. We have thousands and thousands of people, book lovers, who walk through the building and you just paw through and <laughs> find that treasure you didn't actually know you were looking for. Um, we've got cookbooks and fiction books, romance, mysteries, history, books about Chicago, you name it, it's there. Wonderful. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. When maps and the great thing, Vince, is you've seen a number of times you see people walking out of there with with shopping bags filled <laughs> with books, and I just yeah. it, you know we're we're in an era now where bookstores are are up against it, let's say. But to see that people want to read books, Toya, talk about you have the the audio book is out of your fantastic last summer on state street yeah it's um so it's read by shana small i didn't like do the um the reading but i selected her from a list of sort of voice actors and she received a star review for reading the book and um it's on audible it's on libro fm which is the version of sort of an indie bookstore the the um, audio version of a indie bookstore, Libro FM, and uh, at the end of the month, it will actually be on sale for a dollar ninety nine. You cannot beat well, that. Well, your must your royalties <laughs> cut must be huge, uh, but you're getting you're getting the Pattis Prize, uh, yes. and I think this Saturday is going to be a joyful a joyful time. And Vince, I think too this you're looking forward to this storytelling thing as much as I am. I think I think it's a really wonderful way to have. If not totally and forever moved on from the Bug House Square debates, at least altered it a bit, don't you? Absolutely. Um, You know, you were right. You mentioned COVID kind of put a pause on the world and certainly what was happening at the Newberry and gave us a chance to think about these programs that we've long presented Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when you think about having the Pattis Award, which the first one was given out last year yeah. to Don Turner, you know, taking that award and thinking about an outdoor event and what that could mean, and we, we settled on storytelling. It, it made a lot of sense. Um, and it's a great way to bring people together and, and share stories about Chicago and and the work we're all doing to make this a great city. Well, I look forward to meeting you and and, uh, and apologizing in person for <laughs> screwing up getting you on the phone. No apologize. Uh, ah, well, you know, I'm, I'm like that. Don't worry, Vince. I'm like that. Vince Verbo is the uh, vice president for public engagement at the Newberry Library. And the Newberry Library is certainly a place you should go. And I cannot imagine... A better time to be there the next Saturday to see the storytelling event and to celebrate with Toya Wolf, whose uh, last summer on State Street belongs on every Chicago bookshelf that there is. Toya, it's a remarkable book. I cannot wait for the next one or whatever iteration this book takes, whether it becomes a film or a movie or it's now an audible book. But no, yeah. that's that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for <laughs> a bigger kind TV of thing. TV show. Let's put Thank, that out in the yeah, TV, TV show. show. TV show. <laughs> Long-running TV yes. show. Vince, again, thanks for, for bearing up under this, and uh, I will see you Saturday. Thanks, Vince. All right, we'll see you Saturday. Thank Great. you. Great, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Toya, safe travels home. Thank uh, you. You Thanks, live in the Rick. suburbs now, don't you? I do. I'm holding down the North Shore these days, but okay, it the, took it took a few decades for me to mosey on up the, the lake. <laughs> do you have, when, when, you, when you, I don't want to get, when you dream of your childhood, <laughs> Yes. you dream of the Robert Taylor homes, yes? 
Oh, I haven't dreamed of my childhood in a long time. But yeah, that's that's where I grew up. That's where my mom grew up. Yeah. My grandmother was a young adult when she moved in there. So even when I'm not dreaming, when I'm just thinking about childhood, I am back on the south side in that neighborhood. Well, you've done it proud. I mean, there are not many people who have written about uh, about that area of Chicago that is now vanished. Yeah, uh, you have done it proud. And Thank if, you. Uh, anybody who and, and you've also done childhood proud. You really do a remarkable job of giving life to these young ladies who are growing up in a place that. Now vanished. Yeah. I can't wait to see read your next book. Thanks, Rick. Cheryl Johnson, thank you, pal, for coming in.